shotglassdigital.com. Rebel Force Radio is brought to you in part by Little Debbie Snacks and their new Cosmic Cupcakes. To learn more, go to littledebbie.com forward slash Cosmic Cupcakes. With movies, gaming, books, comics, and collecting, a Little Debbie snack makes everything a little sweeter. Little Debbie, official snack of the galaxy. DorksideToys.com. For the latest Star Wars action figures, Marvel, G.I. Joe, and more, visit DorksideToys.com. This is where the fun begins. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away. This is Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Star Wars news and commentary. With Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack. I've seen Star Wars 500 times. Star Wars number one. This station is now the ultimate power in the universe. I suggest we use it. Now it's time for Rebel Force Radio. We would be honored if you would join us. I was listening back to last week's show, and I realized that we never really got a chance to talk about our return trip back home. So that's what uh, this week is for. We've got a whole lot more to say about our big venture out west to uh, Lucasfilm headquarters and Rancho Obi-Wan. We were hosted by uh, the great Steve Sansweet. We'll talk more about that. Uh, and we've got Steve himself in the cantina with us to give you all the latest updates on what's going on there at Rancho Obi-Wan. they got a big gala coming up next month. And uh, also, Billy D's going to be dropping by. We'll be talking more about Rebels and all kinds of things. And uh, by the way, you are here at Rebel Force Radio for August 15th, 2014. And with me, my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey, Star Wars fans. Yes. This is the week where we provide you with our Rancho Recap. Jason's first trip ever to Rancho Obi-Wan. And we're going to be talking about everything we did there. All the fun things we did. Some of the cool Well, not everything. Not everything. No, there is some top secret stuff that we are going to keep top secret. But we did see a lot of cool things. We did a lot of cool things. And we were involved in a lot of great conversation. And we'll be talking about that and so much more tonight on Rebel Force Radio. Yeah, but first, uh, we want to start off with uh, some sad news. Uh, obviously, it's uh, by now that when you're listening to this, it's um, it's no secret uh, that uh, Robin Williams uh, passed away um, at the result of an apparent suicide. Um, all that those details are coming out, but we don't really want to talk about his death. Rather, we kind of want to talk, take a moment and talk about his connection to Star Wars because there are several. Um, and I just, you know, something I wanted to say personally, I was actually talking to some uh, folks at work and, and I work at a, uh, large performing arts center in Cleveland. And we actually, not while I was working there, but we've had Robin Williams there at Playhouse Square in Cleveland, um, at least three times. And the latest was in 2011, he came and did a benefit for the Cleveland Clinic the Cleveland Clinic is um, a big uh, hospital in the in Northeast Ohio. They have a lot of satellite um, offices, but they're very, very well known for their their um, coronary, their heart heart care. And Robin had a uh, open heart surgery back in 2011 at the Cleveland Clinic, and was just really, really grateful to the staff of doctors that looked after him, and was in Cleveland for several weeks, and really kind of. Um, 
uh, I think, kind of fell in love with the city and and the people and decided to come back uh, a year or so later and do this benefit. Uh, and he did his stand-up at Playhouse Square as a benefit to um, the Cleveland Clinic, donated his time, did a free show. And for somebody like Robin Williams, it was always a huge deal when he would go back to stand-up. He's a big movie star, TV star, uh, and uh, but he would uh, occasionally go back and do some stand-up gigs, and, and that was one. And, and I, I talked to some folks today who saw that show, and they said it was by far one of the most extraordinary experiences they ever had in a the theater. So funny, so poignant, so great. He talked a lot about his open-heart surgery and... Um, you know, in a, in a way, Robin always had an open heart. I mean, you, 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 he was so known for being kind of, you know, the manic, crazy, zany comedian. But, you know, in between the lines and, and you'd watch those those great, uh, whether it be comic relief or, or any of his stand ups and, and he would get very poignant and very personal at times. And um, uh, he's one of those actors, Jim, as I was saying to some, some friends at work, that I, I feel like he's, he, his loss is one of the first actors of, of, of uh, I don't want to say but like what movie star has meant to me since I was a kid, like Robin Williams has been a force of nature and entertainment from the time I can remember with Mork and Mindy. I loved the Popeye movie. And then mm-hmm. I kind of grew up with his movies at my first adult movies. I remember watching movies like Dead Poet Society and the Fisher King and Good Morning Vietnam. And uh, just I, I have so many great memories of, of watching Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, first learned of Robin Williams when he came on Happy Days back in 1978 as Mork from Ork. I remember his really first big breakthrough on film was The World According to Garp. And uh, that was twisted and strange and weird. And, of course, like you said, Jason, Popeye and uh, Good Morning Vietnam and all those great films he was known for. And then the fact that he is the guy who really opened up the door for celebrities, established celebrities, to seek careers as voiceover artists in animation when he starred as the genie in Aladdin. That was a really breakthrough moment because up to that point in time, the established Hollywood star was not necessarily featured in animation. And Robin taking that role really got the ball rolling on that sort of thing. There were a few times as a professional I actually got to be around Robin Williams, which was really cool. Most notably when I was covering the Oscars in 94 and 95 and um, Radio City Music Hall for Comic Relief in 1998. I was in the press room and involved in some... uh, conversation with robin and uh he was always he was always ready to play that's something that Mm. i i know about him he was always ready to play even after doing the comic relief which ran for gosh it was like 11 or 12 hours they walked into the room whoopee billy crystal and robin williams clearly looking exhausted and you could tell they were in no mood to suffer fools but yet they they still talk to me. So those are some some great experiences I had being around Robin Williams. And I could also point to another occasion where I was working at uh, Loop Radio in Chicago up in the Hancock building. And he came up and spent a uh, major portion of the morning show hanging out, reading the news, doing the traffic, uh, crank, <laughs> crank calling Jonathan Winters. <laughs> I mean, just all kind of amazing stuff. And he was just the most 
pleasurable person to be around and a real force of nature as far as comedic energy and timing and improvisation. One of the great comic improv minds of all time. And I was so touched by his passing that when I learned about it, I, uh, I sat down and started doing a little bit of research because I, I knew there were Star Wars connections, most notably going back a few years ago when a listener sent us a picture of Robin Williams with C-3PO, and we had no idea where this was from. We even floated up the flagpole of Lucasfilm's Pete Vilmer, who has an amazing mind and recall when it comes to historic Star Wars appearances, such as a Robin Williams C-3PO gathering, um, that was, uh, Pete didn't even know what it was. So I actually reached out to Anthony Daniels himself. And he responded by telling me it was from Hands Across America, a promo he did with Robin Williams back in 1986. And uh, just sort of went on about what a, an incredible experience it was, how he appreciated the work Robin did in Bicentennial Man, where he starred as a robot, a film I have not actually seen. But obviously, Anthony, having the sensibilities of C-3PO, enjoyed the performance of Robin Williams as the Bicentennial Man robot. And so I thought that was cool. I wrote a blog about it. So I found the old blog, thinking I would just repost it. But I wanted to dig deeper. I felt like there must be some more connections between... Robin Williams and Star Wars. I know he and George Lucas were friendly. And I also know that Robin lives in the same area as George Lucas. Something that I remember us reporting was a time when George used Robin's private jet to meet up with Melody on one of their very first ever dates. That's so, right. I remember covering that story. And, 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 you know, things like that. And so I'm like, well, there must be some more connections. And I was so surprised to find out that in 2011, Robin Williams spoke to Movie Phone, their website, and revealed how the idea of Mork from Orc came to life. How did Gary Marshall incorporate an alien into a popular TV sitcom about life in Milwaukee in the 50s? I mean, it just... Uh, talk about unlikely bedfellows. <laughs> Very bizarre. Yeah. Very strange. So how did he get that idea? Where did that come from? And it came from Gary Marshall's son, as Robin revealed to Movie Phone. Gary Marshall's son saw Star Wars and said to his dad, Dad, why are there no aliens in Happy Days? Now, you know, that's a question a kid would ask. <laughs> and, and that got Gary Marshall thinking. And sort of as a shout-out to his son... He invented the character of Mork for Mork. And that character was always destined for his own television series, but yet they felt like they needed to make a big splash with the character. They felt like he needed a grand debut, so they used Happy Days as a launching pad for this new television sitcom character, Mork for Mork. They did so because Happy Days was, quite honestly, one of the most popular shows at the time. So it was just perfect. You know, the Fonz was iconic, so it was like this 70s sitcom icon welcoming in what is going to become a new 70s television icon, and that was Mork for Mork. And so, in essence, 
Mork from Ork is from the Star Wars galaxy from a certain point of view. I don't know if there's any sort of planetary guide available at Barnes & Noble that features the planet Ork alongside Tatooine, Naboo, and Dagobah. But to well, me, if, it, if it does, it's been relegated to legend status, I'm sure. But here we are looking back at Robin's career and paying tribute to the man and recognizing the fact that without Star Wars, it's quite possible that Robin Williams would have never gotten a big break, would have never attained the legendary Hollywood status that he held until his death. He would have never gotten that big break if it wasn't for Star Wars. He could have spent the rest of his career working in nightclubs in New York or maybe just writing for television shows instead of being in front of the camera. But it was because Gary Marshall essentially discovered him and put him in front of the cameras that his career just skyrocketed. So he went from TV sitcoms to major motion films to major motion film awards when he won Best Supporting Actor for his role in Goodwill Hunting back in 1998, a film which Kevin Smith was a producer on. Of course, Kevin Smith, big Star Wars fan. He was nominated for, actually, he was nominated for Oscars several times, and he was kind of, uh, it was very frustrating for fans of his to, to watch him keep, you know, repeatedly getting snubbed. I think back to Good Morning Vietnam, he clearly should have won Best Actor for that. Also, Best Supporting for The Fisher King, uh, a favorite movie of mine, Dead Poets Society, also another role he could and should have probably won for. Uh, but he did get a, Jim, I don't know if you remember the Oscars when he, uh, the year he played the genie in Aladdin, but they, you know, it was still at a time where they weren't comfortable giving award nominations to animated films or voiceover actors. And so they gave him some kind of a weird honor. Do you remember that? It wasn't really an Oscar, but they gave it to him at the Oscars. Yeah. No, I don't. I don't. Yeah. Sort of like, you know, cinematic achievement awards, something like that. And he kind of got up and sort of, kind of made fun of it a little bit but i'm not really quite sure what this is but thank you anyway um but um so that's that's a fascinating um that's a fascinating connection that he has and as you mentioned jim you know he's from the bay area and uh actually lives there in marin county and uh, you know those are george's stomping grounds um i think i want to say there's probably what do we got george's what now 70 yeah. George, yeah, so there's there's uh, a little bit of age difference there between the two of them, but um, I had heard that um, he was not just good friends with George, but also Francis Coppola, and um, so uh, definitely uh, he was a fan of genre entertainment. Uh, you know, one thing that I learned that was really fascinating, his daughter Zelda is named after the character, uh, the Legend of Zelda, the game. He apparently was a really hardcore gamer, loved video games. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so I thought that was really interesting. And he had children kind of, you know, later in his life. So um, uh, I think that they probably exposed him to a a lot of those things. And uh, it's just, it's hard to learn of the passing of a, of a father with uh, with children of any age, but let alone at a you know at an impressionable age, young adulthood or teenagers, and uh, it's it's just so sad. It really is sad. But there are a lot of great things to celebrate. And uh, Jim, we actually uncovered some audio of 
and and I had a memory. I think this is this goes back several years. I had a memory of hearing um, back in the early days of Audible. You know, one of our one of our frequent sponsors here on Rebel Force Radio that Robin had signed up to do kind of a well an early podcast. Let's face it, that's what it was. It was a radio show just for the internet, and you could subscribe and and download, and it cost you a few bucks per episode. And one of his guests was, of all people, the notorious GL. This is some very rare audio. You cannot find this anywhere else because apparently there was some bizarre, very tight licensing agreement with Audible, and that agreement expired. So they pulled all of these great Robin Williams celebrity interviews off their website, unfortunately. And I'm hoping that maybe in the wake of the terrible news of his passing, um, that can be figured out and they can re-release this great stuff. But what we're interested in here as Star Wars fans is the time when Robin sat down with George Lucas in 2000 following the uh, production of Phantom Menace while George was writing Attack of the Clones. Robin got to sit down with George and conduct a, a rather lengthy interview with him. And what I love about this interview is the fact that George and Robin have a chemistry. They obviously know each other very well. George is totally comfortable in the presence of Robin Williams. And he laughs harder than I've ever heard George Lucas laugh in front of a microphone. He really enjoyed hanging with Robin. And so we have a treat here. We do have the audio and we're going to play a couple of nice chunks of it here for you. Let's start off with uh, something that was very controversial in the wake of The Phantom Menace. That, of course, is the character of Jar Jar Binks. Uh, George, obviously, is not immune to criticism. He heard what everyone was saying in the great internet echo chamber. So here we're hearing George in the year 2000, just a mere months after the release of Phantom Menace, as he is coming to terms with the fact that this character he created had suffered such backlash. And this is probably the most candid I've ever heard George talk about the character of Jar Jar Binks and the criticism that surrounded that particular character. And I think it's because of the humor and the warmth of Robin Williams being there in the room, coaxing George along, getting George to talk via humor. That's what makes this interview special. So here's George Lucas, Robin Williams, from the very rare 2000 Audible interview series talking about Jar Jar Binks. I know that Jar Jar Binks uh, is probably the, you know, the highest paid actor in Hollywood. And, I would, think, and I, would think he, I would think he's probably um, very, very close to Stuart Little. I would say they're both over $20 million just for the character. Serious. And no trailer. (laughs) And no trailer. And no trainer. No, but you have to have an actor, and then you have to have an animator, and you you end up with five actors. That's why it costs so much. Oh, I mean, you have to have One actor doesn't get the 20 million. It goes to about about 30 different actors. Team Jar Jar. But you still have to have an actor. You got two key people, the animator and the actor. And those two people really create the character. Did the two guys work together a lot on uh, Jar Jar? I mean, because. Yeah, they were. They knew. Yeah, they would. But the. But. uh, you know, the, the, what happens inevitably is the animator takes off from the actor. Because yeah, yeah, we'd yeah. photograph the actor, and then they would just, you know, 
copy what the actor was doing. Serious. So he would make that movements and he would yeah. do all that and then the guy would build off of that. Yeah. Did he build the vocals? I mean, would he build, once he saw the drawing or the mock-up of the character, he started building that voice? The voice was actually written in a script. Serious? Yeah. That kind of rhyming. You shall wait, Nate. Yeah, it's sort of... It's turned out to be Jamaican, but it wasn't. <laughs> What's that? It isn't Jamaican by a long shot, but if you're a Jamaican... Ja, ja, you're Jamaica! Yeah, I and I walking different. away now! I just don't understand this this Binks character. <laughs> Everybody else I can understand, but... Give me out to wait some queer time! Yeah, very strange voice. Ja, ja, working up the time to wait quite fine, Luke Skywalker. <laughs> uh, ja, 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 wheeling. I and I walking away. It was amazing to see the people's response to it. It's a totally created creature interrelating with humans. Yeah. Seamless. It's funny. I mean, the fans hated it, but the fans hated Jar Jar before the movie even came out, before Why? they even knew what he was. Why did they hate him before? What they don't that? like they don't like comic sidekicks. They just can't take it. You know, in the first film, nobody liked uh, 3PO. They couldn't stand him. You know, it was like, you know, the, the most repulsive character ever created on film. Uh, and then we went on to uh, it, when we did the Empire. They nobody liked uh, Yoda. You know, you can't understand what he's saying. He talks backwards. Syntax had none. Yeah, it's you know, it's like oh, you know, it's terrible. Speak and then in the third, the third one, they hated the the Ewoks. They just couldn't stand them. They were too cute, too fuzzy. Uh, they wanted you know, gremlins. They wanted well, they yeah, they want something nasty and mean. And um, you know, so it's sort of inevitable that the 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 smallest sort of goofiest character. Gets despised. Gets despised, you know, hated by, you know, because they want to, a lot of the fans are sort of into Terminator 2. And it's like, how dare you uh, make this into a children's film? I say, hey guys, can't you have everybody look like Darth Maul? Yeah, that's exactly what they want. I want a Maori and a mime combined. (laughs) They want everybody to be mean. They want to be mean. Welcome. R2D2, can't he have a small razor? No. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's great stuff. I, you're right, Jim. I don't think there's really many, if if any, that ever got George to open up quite like that. That was uh, it's so the, the guard is down, and you know he really does believe what he says. That you know that the fans. I think that was obviously a big frustration point that the fans um, were always looking for sort of a meaner, leaner, grittier Star Wars. Uh, particularly with that, with with the prequels, um, I don't. You know, we've talked about this a little bit on the show, and just to remind people, do you recall as a as a child of the of the original trilogy, um, this this hatred that he talks about for C three PO? Um, not not as much as I recall it actually being directed at Yoda. Oh, really? See, I was going to ask that next, but because I, I do remember. Ewoks, you know, my my older brother thinking that they were there just to sell toys and all that stuff. But someone as beloved and uh, iconic as Yoda was not initially accepted? Yes, that's absolutely true because a lot of people just wrote him off as a Muppet and listened to his voice. He sounds like Grover. He sounds like Fozzie Bear. So, I mean, people would say that. They would definitely say that. Yoda definitely has aged very well, especially for a guy who's 900 years. But in uh, and, and C-3PO too, a lot of people forget that. But there are still the jokes. There's still 3PO jokes out there, and you know what they are. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen the tape dispenser. <laughs> I've seen the Topps trading card. <laughs> oh. <laughs> By the way, word to the wise, 
Should you meet Anthony Daniels at Star Wars Celebration Anaheim? Should he be in attendance? Do not present the man with the infamous Tops error card of C-3PO from Series 4 of the trading card sets from the 70s. Do not present him with that. No, he will not sign it. He will not sign it. He might rip it up right in front of you and chastise you for that. And it's actually worth a pretty good chunk of money, so... It's relatively rare, especially because he's destroyed most of them. <laughs> That's right. At conventions worldwide. <laughs> but anyway, so the, the Robin interview with George goes on. We have another uh, section here. Jim, what are we going to hear about on this one? Yeah, this is good stuff because, you know, Robin Williams being a very gifted mimic, he could tap into so many different accents, Robin. And so obviously he's very interested in the sort of accents that populate the Star Wars universe, specifically the British sounding imperial troopers and officers. And then he takes it a step further and imagine, if you will, encountering in Star Wars Episode 7 a Scottish stormtrooper. Check this out. Right in the very beginning of the first movie, you decided to play with accents and try to mush, because I was dealing with English and American and everything, I wanted to sort of mush it into a lot of different kinds of accents, since it was all over the galaxy and times, different kinds of dialects and different languages, and not, like, and not do just everybody speaking, you know, British. Yeah, it seemed like all the villains basically on the Death Star was all, sir, Mr. Lord yeah, we, Vader. We, we kept the we kept the military... Yeah. Militaristic group a little bit more higher English than the yeah they were very much Lord Vader yeah very sorry Lord not like uh, English sergeants Lord Vader it's all been done sir <laughs> planet's been destroyed sir as you wished <laughs> or one Scottish stormtrooper can't go in there sir the doors haven't been blown off yet <laughs> we'd be definitely way to go Lord Vader. What is she saying? Lord Vader to get free for him. <laughs> what? They were blowing the bee there. What? <laughs> blowing the bee kind of Vader for below. Time out of Vader. <laughs> the brave had been. Luke. What? Luke. Do that with the farce. What? Use the farce, Luke. What? Use the farce. The farce? Farce! <laughs> Work with me. Great Scottish Vaders. Lord McVader. Step up. It's it's funny in doing that because it's uh, um, like with Ewan, you know he is Scottish. Oh, I know. And he has a very very thick Scottish accent, and to get him to do to Alec Guinness, who's very very English, and his very very, very English accent, it's very interesting because he actually pulls it off pretty well. Because his real accent is way different. Oh, he's got that video. Yeah, he, can't he does. He, he sounds like fat bastard. That <laughs> <laughs> would have been good. Ah, oh, the other dark meat. <laughs> That would have been great if that bastard in the middle of that. Oh, here! Hand me that boy! Bring me that Anakin! What are you going to do with it? Ah, you know it, everyone! Oh, oh I found it in the suit! Oh, my goodness. <laughs> this genius! Oh, fantastic. Fantastic stuff. And, you know, anything you throw at him, you know, he's. he's He's he, he can volley, you know, right back, right back at you, going with the fat bastard thing, and um, the, 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 you know, I, I've listened to these clips a couple of times, and uh, it's funny the way he talks about the way George talks about you, and he's oh, his accent, you know, so thick, and you know, and then he, when he when he kind of makes a little judgment on on Ewan's channeling of Alec Guinness. He's like, yeah, he does it pretty well. <laughs> he does it fantastic. What are you talking about? But, you know, it's just uh, ever the critic, you know, George, you know, it's never perfect. 
real art is never finished. It's only it's only abandoned, as he said. And um, it's just it's just funny. He's got that sense of detachment, whereas we as fans are like, wow, you know, Ewan's just dead on. George Lucas is the only man in show business who can draw a connection between Ewan McGregor and Fat Bastard and get away with it. It's just hearing George say bastard is funny. Fat bastard. Fat bastard. Fat bastard. It was like fat bastard. So um, what a great conversation uh, these two had. And uh, maybe when we have a little more time, we can play some more clips. Uh, I just did want to wrap up with a, a fun clip here just because right now, Howard the Duck totally trending and uh unbelievable you know, unbelievable i mean a, a lot of people listening to this show should know why and uh without spoiling anything if you don't know why go see guardians of the galaxy <clears throat> did i just spoil something no uh, it's been out for like three weeks leave me alone right 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 so Oh, that's great. Play the spoiler alert afterwards, after, right? After. Yeah, that's like if you're watching TV, if you're watching TV and someone swears and the beep comes after the <laughs> swear word. That's real good. That's real good. But right. so so I, uh, I I enjoyed this little uh, chat they have about Howard the Duck. Of course, you know, George Lucas famously produced the uh, incredible flop of 1986, Howard the Duck. Um, and uh so I think George actually brings up Howard the Duck, and this is sort of how the interview wraps itself up. And uh, George makes a very interesting proposition to Robin about Howard the Duck. One of my brilliant ideas was yes. to take Howard the Duck and and redo Howard as a digital character. Much better. You know, and then be... get a better voice. <laughs> yeah. Somebody bring such as a... somebody such as yourself. And to have you know, and do the same movie. You no, know, just just do exactly the same movie, just pull him out of the scenes. And bring and, it back again? No, and just pull him out and put this new character. I mean, a put a new, a digital version of him in there, and then have a new voice, you know, a better voice, and have him, you know, have the voice sort of play off, and then, uh, and then you know, bring it back. You know, Howard the Duck special edition. <laughs> you hated it before. You'll loathe it now. now once again, Howard's back. <laughs> yeah. He's different. Make him more like this. How are you? <laughs> Real New York duck. What are you crazy? What happened the first time? Who was the little guy in the suit? Shut up! <laughs> I don't. Yeah, that's what happens when you sit in a room too long. Sit you, you could bring back, and I could do Popeye again. I swear, this time I can, can make, make it, it work. work. <laughs> yes. And this time I can have both eyes open, like the manager who called and said, "Rob, can't you open your other eye?" No, Charlie, he's got one eye. <laughs> Popeye, the digital. I can swear it'll work again. <laughs> God, I could go back. There's a couple I could do again. Uh, that's sick. That's, that's it's truly sick. So you can go back and digitize it. and Wonderful. I'll call on you to redo Howard the Duck now. Okay. <laughs> i, I got to come do that. I remember you had the first meeting. I, went, I don't know. The duck scares me. <laughs> looking around at the duck. We're going to get this right. Oop. If it takes the rest of my life. Yeah. <laughs> I will not like Howard the Duck. The one project. It was like the spruce goose for Hughes. George would not let Howard go. It'll be Howard the Duck back again, and then after that, the next one will be Howard the Duck. He won't give up. And the next one is, I think I've got it right this, this time. time. Please look at look at. Please don't be afraid to look at him. <laughs> I love. They're, I think they're leaving the studio. Yeah, and the tape's still rolling. Yeah, that is. They're walking, they're walking out. out. Yeah. So. But uh, I, I, 
Uh, yeah, it's so good. And, and, and for me, I have to tell you, I, I, I never understood because I saw the Popeye movie. To me, it combined two of my favorite things. It combined the Popeye character, which I loved, and musicals. You know, it's a musical. And uh, I never, you know, you know, growing up, you know, watching that movie through my childhood, I never understood why it was so, uh, you know, hated and, and uh, you know, made fun of. And it was a big flop at the theater and all of that. And I just, I always loved it. I, you know, but in uh, Howard the Duck, you know, George, I, I, you can actually hear, again, in between the lines and in the humor that he really would like to have seen that work <laughs> you know like i think there's a part of him that's almost serious about redoing howard and now that howard has taken on new life uh here in popular culture george has got to be scratching his head you know uh he, he would love to to bring howard the duck to life as a cg character and that's precisely what we see in spoiler alert guardians of the galaxy and I had heard that, you know, as we hear George talk to Robin, not only would he like the character to be CG, but he was disappointed with the voice. So he yeah, wanted a different right. voice for Howard. And from what I understand, I don't know if this is credited or not, but Lucasfilm alum, I guess we could call him that, Seth Green does the voice of Howard the Duck in Guardians. Yeah. Did you hear that? I, I, well, I've not seen the film, but uh, yeah, I certainly read it online that it was that it was Seth Green, and uh, yeah, I mean, there's a huge Star Wars connection. I wonder if George still owns the rights to the character, at least the film rights to the character Howard. Not likely, not likely. Yeah. I, I don't, you know, I, I uh, find it hard to believe he ever actually owned outright owned the uh, film rights to the character that might've come with uh, whatever studio they were working with at the time. Mm. Um, it was obviously a Lucasfilm production, but it was uh, produced in connection with another studio. I'm thinking Paramount off the top of my head, but that could be entirely wrong. I am no expert on Howard the duck. However, I do own it on DVD. <laughs> Actually, I just uh, remember as a kid just falling in love with Leah Thompson in that. Movie. Yes, she was. Oh. That was immediately post Back to the Future. Leah right. Thompson, and yep. and she was the bee's knees in the mid eighties. Yes, she was uh, for a, a young man, a, a and young still looks pretty good. She, as a she? lady in her what fifties now, probably. Fifty is the new thirty. You know the finishing touches on this. It's you know I think. Artists like Robin Williams, um, you know, the word genius is thrown around so much that it, it hardly has any meaning. But uh, every time it was used in connection with Robin Williams, I, I, it, it takes on a, a more of a grain of truth. And uh, there's something brilliant about that mind of his. And unfortunately, as is often the case, the thing that makes you strongest is also, you know, one of your greatest weaknesses. And uh, obviously Robin had lots of demons that he battled. And again, we don't want to focus on his death. We want to focus on his career and uh, what he meant to all of us as lovers of entertainment. And uh, he will be sorely missed. I'm just so disappointed. I think there was a lot of greatness left in, in his career, whether he felt that way or not. And, um, but uh, certainly fun, Jim. I really appreciate you going and doing the research and, you know, the, not just what you put together uh, since his passing, but in the past you've looked into this connection and 
Um, I think if you go to our, our website at shotglassdigital.com, uh, you can actually read a, a whole post that Jim wrote up about uh, this, the, the Robin Williams Star Wars connection and the, the entirety of Anthony Daniels' email that Jim received back after inquiring about that photo uh, is there and it's a really it was written of course years before Robin's death uh, but it's a really a touching uh, tribute and uh, a great little glimpse of what it was like to be around Robin Williams even just for a uh, you know a few hours on a on a film or on a shoot for a, some photographs so yeah. anyway uh, Robin Williams uh, rest in peace and another loss experienced in the Star Wars universe. Oscar-winning ILMer Joe Viscasel uh, passed away. Joe is another from the class of 77, those that worked on the original Star Wars film, Episode Four: A New Hope, uh, pioneering, along with George Lucas and Dennis Murin and all of the guys there that worked so hard to create the technology that would uh, inevitably give life to a galaxy far, far away. Uh, he uh, passed away. And Jim, his uh, one of his biggest achievements during his time working on the Star Wars films was the sequence at the end of the movie when uh, Luke blows up the Death Star. Absolutely, Jason. So just for that moment alone, he is in the Star Wars Hall of Fame, and his talents and skills are greatly appreciated by Star Wars fans everywhere. This is the man that blew up the Death Star. Sure, we give Luke Skywalker all the credit, but it really was Joe Viscosel at ILM, pressing down that plunger to blow up that model of the Death Star back in the mid-70s. And so for that, we pay tribute to the man today. And I mean, let's face it, we often paint Star Wars like it was a one-man show. George Lucas was the greatest. And then you know, we'll throw in a Ralph McQuarrie, a John Williams, or he preys on the actors as we do as a society. But we know it was a team effort. And... Joe Viscasso, the man who blew up the Death Star, we pay tribute to you here on Rebel Force Radio as a guy who made major, major contributions to the incredible Star Wars saga. You're all clear, kid. Now let's blow this thing and go home. Stand by. Yes, Master. Rise. Rebel Force Radio. Your source for the Force. Okay, we're going to take a quick uh, time out here to thank our good friends at Little Debbie, sponsors of us here at Rebel Force Radio. That's right, Jason. We're telling our listeners each and every week to get the word out about Little Debbie and Rebel Force Radio via social networking. And then you'll become eligible to win a Little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack filled with all kind of amazing Little Debbie snacks like Cosmic Cupcakes, like Nutty Bars, like Cloud Cakes, or as we call them here, Cloud City Cakes. Huh? So all you have to do to uh, become eligible to win... This amazing galactic snack pack is post something mentioning Cosmic Cupcakes and us here at Rebel Force Radio on Little Debbie's official Facebook page or tweet at Little Debbie. Be sure to mention us here at Rebel Force Radio and boom, you're eligible to win a Little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack. 
including those amazing Cosmic Cupcakes. So this week's winner of a little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack, we go to the Twitter. Josh at that Bairn guy posted on August 10th. Rebel Force Radio, great RFR episode this week for August the 8th and was further enjoyed with a Little Debbie Cosmic Cupcake. Boom! Josh, you win. You are going to get a Little Debbie Galactic Snack Pack. Be sure to contact us at show at Rebel Force Radio and give us your address, and we'll get that amazing assortment of Little Debbie snacks to your doorstep ASAP. Thank you so much, Little Debbie, for all your sponsorship and support of Rebel Force Radio and Rancho Obi-Wan, I might add. Little Debbie, of course, They're the official snack of Rebel Force Radio. And, of course, Jason, I did mention Little Debbie is a proud sponsor of Rancho Obi-Wan. And there's a great display in the museum. It's a giant TIE fighter with a bunch of little shelves on it. It was used by Ashley Eckstein for a Cupcake Wars episode shot at Star Wars Celebration 6. This big prop... This big set piece has found a new home at Rancho Obi-Wan, and now it proudly displays an assortment of Little Debbie. Cosmic cupcakes lining the solar fin panels on the TIE Fighter is just too cool and delicious. That's right. A TIE Fighter never looks so tasty. Right. And so we took a picture in front of it uh, with Steve, and we'll put that up on our Facebook page for sure. But... The whole point of this conversation is to lead us down the road to Rancho Obi-Wan. This is where we left off last week. We had completed our tour of ILM, our visit to Skywalker Ranch, our exclusive interview with Dave Filoni and Pablo Hidalgo, recorded live at Lucasfilm, and just a great time visiting with friends. You know, of course, we had to do the traditional photo in front of the Yoda fountain in front of Lucasfilm headquarters. You got to do that. Oh, it's like hollowed ground. I mean, you just, we immediately were drawn to that thing like moths to a flame. And we jumped up on the side of it and we were getting close ups of Yoda and stuff. That's such a great work of art by uh, Lawrence Noble. Lawrence, who, by the way, you know, I wanted to hook up with Lawrence while we were out there, but it was just no downtime for us, Jason. It, you know, from all the meetings and things we had going on in San Francisco and then hanging out at Rancho Obi-Wan and all the action and activity that was going on there, it was just so hard to even find any downtime whatsoever. So we, we finally got... To Rancho Obi-Wan, we arrived in the early evening. We were greeted by the whole crew at Rancho Obi-Wan. Steve Sansweet, Bob, Stu, and of course, Ann Newman. And just sort of started having a good time right away. We had come with uh, adult beverages for everyone. (laughs) And wasted no time in consuming them as we took a tour of the grounds. And so much has expanded since I was last there a couple years ago. They've certainly added a lot of really nice landscaping. And there is a big chicken coop because, of course, Rancho Obi-Wan is built on a former chicken farm. So it seems only natural that they have a chicken coop. But they actually had chickens this time. So Ann walked us out there. And and there we were standing amongst chickens. And Ann reached into the, their nest and pulled out a bunch of eggs and stuff. This was real 
farm living going on here. Oh, it was farm living. I thought I was on the set of Green Acres there for a moment. We had, uh, I guess that makes uh, that makes Anne uh, Ava Gabor, right? Um, but it, yeah, she was pulling out these eggs, and something I didn't realize is that the eggs come in all different types of colors based on the type and color of the chicken itself. That was uh, that was uh, interesting. Uh, there were no male chickens. So there are no roosters in there. Uh, so all uh, all chicks, chick chickens. And uh, but, yeah, laying eggs and, you know, it's they're uh, they're eating what they're growing there in uh, at Rancho Obi-Wan, which is, you know, yeah, down on the farm. I don't know about Green Acres, except a couple times. And did call me darling. <laughs> I was like, hmm, something suspicious around here. But uh, so, yeah, we hung out and uh, Stu's kind of a dead ringer for Mr. Haney, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Green Acres in so long. That's a Mr. Uh. Haney reference. It's <laughs> sweet. Eddie Albert was the the star of Green Acres. It's been a while. All right. Well, Our... you know what? Stu has no relation to that sitcom whatsoever. <laughs> Stu is a totally cool dude. And, Love Stu. Yeah, it was great to meet him. So we hung out for a little while and then it was time to march Jason into Steve's office, which was good. I, I figured you know, if we get into Steve's office, that might then open the door to the museum. <laughs> so because the museum is right down the hallway from his office. So right. We, so we went up there and hung out a little while with Steve. And uh, next thing you knew, we were uh, perusing the library at Rancho Obi-Wan. And uh, so what? But think? you know, I couldn't wait to see. You know what a big fan of the expanded universe I am. It was uh, amazing to see all that stuff. I, actually, there there were so many cool vintage books that I saw on the shelves there. Books that I hadn't seen in years that I owned. Um, of course, then you have all of the different foreign language editions that have been out, and you know sometimes the the cover art is changed, and you know there's always beautiful artwork on those books and. Uh, yeah, the library was fantastic. The magazines are in there, and the various other periodicals. It, uh, it's, it's, it's a tremendous amount of, of, inf- of information. It's like Jocasta New should have been in there, talking about stuff that doesn't exist. Yeah, and it's so well organized, and everything's just really, you know, in its place. And it's just a, a, a great resource. But that was just the appetizer. We walked you down the hallway, and I wanted to get a good look at you when you finally see the museum for the first time. The main room. When that door opens up, you're elevated. And we've seen it a lot in you know, everything from the Guinness Book of World Records to television specials and uh, great documentaries like Plastic Galaxy, which is a really cool documentary about vintage Star Wars action figure collecting. Featuring Steve Sansweet and other guys like Gus Lopez. I mean, you should check it out if you haven't. Just Google Plastic Galaxy and uh, go ahead and order that DVD because that's a lot of fun if you're a Star Wars collector. And uh, you get glimpses of Rancho Obi-Wan in that disc, in that documentary. And so it's a very famous sight as you're elevated and you look out and it's all lit up. And the Darth Vader is standing there with his lightsaber ignited and you just see rows and rows of star wars memorabilia and one-of-a-kind works of art and other pieces of history that just you know i'll I'll tell you elves i mean what 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 struck me with that with that first room as you know kyle has been on here many times and said is talked about this recurring dream that he has 
this dream that he's going back in time and he's walking down the aisle of a Lionel Kitty City or a Toys R Us or a Children's Palace. And it's back there in those days of the early 80s and all the Star Wars vintage product is on the shelf. Steve's, <laughs> there are rows in Rancho Obi-Wan that are the closest thing you can ever have to that experience. Everything back on the shelves, on the pegs, vintage action figures, vintage vehicles, uh, everything from the obviously the the Kenner stuff to you know the more obscure stuff, D- Dixie cups, and I mean just stuff that you remember. I mean there are so many. I, I remember Jim. I don't even think I pointed out to you, but I looked down at one point and the, he had a a bunch of school supplies from Return of the Jedi sitting there on on one of the shelves and i had every single one of those i had every one of those erasers every one of those pencils the pencil case the sharpener all that stuff and it just boy does it bring back some incredible memories in addition to all the stuff that you you know going there it's it's a thrill to see stuff that you never knew existed but to see and kind of and and in some cases be able to touch a part of your childhood like that is really it's it's beyond special <laughs> It really does bring back the memories. And just hearing us talk about it, seeing pictures online, watching videos, or even looking at Steve's book, 1,000 Collectibles, nothing compares to the experience of being immersed in that collection of Star Wars memorabilia. It is really something special. He has the life-size cantina band that used to be on display at FAO Schwartz. He has actual props from the film. And there's just so many interesting things to look at. But you know what? It was really special for us because we were there as personal guests of Steve Sansweet. And we were, it was a very informal tour. It was just the three of us. And we were all in very good moods and laughing a lot and having a lot of fun, really just digging through random boxes of action figures and of everything you pulled out. Steve had a story about it. If it was a work of art, he would tell you the artist's first name, last name, and a lot of personal information about that guy because Steve is friends with just such a wide variety of Star Wars fans and great talent too. So everything had a story. We found Oh yeah. I mean that's what that's what makes the the collection so or, or the the tour rather if you get the opportunity to to go on the tour and hear the stories from Steve himself and you know there are many times I would say to Ann, you know, gosh, Ann uh which is Steve's assistant and she's the, the kind of the, the archivist and just his his right hand, you know, in terms of the the operations there at uh, Rancho Obi Wan, and I would say, and we, we you've got to find a way to catalog these stories. These are just as important as the collectible itself. Yeah, yeah, and a bit of that was done in One Thousand Collectibles and in other things like the Star Wars Vault, etc. But a special attention needs to be paid to those unique items in his collection. And how he acquired them and who helped him along the way or who created them. or he, Every prop he has tells a story. Um, he owns the remains of Qui-Gon Jinn, post-funeral pyre Qui-Gon Jinn. And that is a funny story to hear Steve tell. We won't tell it here because we want you to become members. Just visit RanchObiWan.org and take the tour yourself. Every Star Wars fan has to do it. You just have to do it. But uh, we, we just had a great time in there that night. And uh, Steve uh, even uh, moved some things around in the display. So, like, we had input on the next tour. So we actually put a few items out there that weren't 
currently on display. Probably much to Ann Newman's dismay, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we we helped ourselves. Where'd this come from? Oh, the Rebel Force Radio guys were here. <laughs> they thought it was fun, so they put it out. But um, but sure enough, we we actually did get to the point where we were taking the formal tour with Steve, where we were amongst a group of about a dozen Star Wars fans from all over the place, and uh, even uh, there there was a, a family there from Peru. People travel all over the world to see this collection, and trust me, it's worth the trip. So uh, we were with a great group of fans, and uh, we got to actually go through the tour and hear Steve talk about each and every item that was of interest to the tour group. It's a very organic sort of tour because anyone at any given time could point at an item and ask Steve to tell the story about it and you know that steve has a very detailed story about it so it's so much fun and it's on that interactive level where it's just an amazing experience and i I can't recommend more that you you take this trip and uh and go on the tour and uh just like i said immerse yourself in the world's greatest collection of star wars memorabilia yeah, I mean, Steve's Steve's been around, you know, for a long time in the Star Wars galaxy, both as, uh, you know, as an official extension there of Lucasfilm, an employee of Lucasfilm. We've read his books and we've looked through. And how many times did you find yourself, whether it be a behind the scenes video on StarWars.com or reading one of Steve's books saying, I would give anything to be able to see his collection. Well, you can now. You you actually can. So as as Jim said, you you really must do it. It's It's a great... You know, obviously, uh, it's a beautiful part of the country, uh, San Francisco, and and specifically Petaluma, where Rancho Obi Wan is. So, you know, take the take the family, take the kids, go out west, uh, hang out there in San Francisco for a couple of days, and but do yourself a favor and and book that tour because uh, uh, it's just it's it's something you have to see to believe. I'll tell you what, Jim, the closest thing I was here, and I try to explain this to you know uh, the. You know, the outsiders, people that I work with, other friends that they don't quite get it. And I'll tell you, even though you and I were snapping a lot of photos, the only thing that came the closest to giving them a sense of the depth and scope of Rancho Obi-Wan is the awesome Viewmaster that they sell right there in the gift shop. So the 3D, you know, the old school Viewmasters, well, this is the same thing, um, 3D photographs taken of various parts of the collection and uh, so I took that to work with me for a couple of days. And as people were asking me about my trip, I'd say, here, look, you know, look at this. This will give you an idea of what it is. And, uh, you know, it's fun to watch their expressions as they're flipping through the Viewmaster. Whoa, wow, you know. For so sure. that was really cool. For sure, yeah. It, and also, if you've been there, you pick that thing up, you, go, you start going through uh, Rancho Withdrawal. <laughs> because the 3D is pretty good on it. And uh, I think it was Gus Lopez who actually is the guy who shot all that stuff for the Viewmaster. It's it's not Viewmaster brand necessarily, but uh, it's uh, the exact same thing. And it's really a, a great souvenir to take home after you uh, visit Rancho Obi-Wan. After you hang out in the art room and eat some Little Debbie and play some pinball and video games. I got in a solid hour there with the uh, Star Wars Episode One. Pinball you did. Machine. Yeah, yeah. That's, my, that's my favorite. And I like the pod racing game, too. Whenever I'm in Disney or at a, an arcade that has that particular 
video game. Well, that was really fun. I, that was something I wasn't expecting on the on the tour. At the at the end, you kind of in the in the last room, uh, Steve opens up the little debbies and uh, points you towards the video games and says, uh, "Go have fun." Basically, it was really, really cool. Yeah, it was. It was a lot of fun. So, uh, so you know, I mean, it was just the experience of being there and actually being able to take it all in and volunteering ourselves to uh, whatever needed to be done around there, whether it meant moving around uh, ramps or actually going through a top-secret acquisition for the museum with guys like Pete Vilmer and uh, Rich Smolin, who are uh, two guys. Uh, Pete Vilmer, of course, is a longtime Lucasfilm employee and uh, writer and a guy who's collaborated with Steve Sansweet on books before. And, and Jason, you pointed out an interesting trivia fact about Pete that I never realized, but he actually is the first person to reach out to us from Lucasfilm back when we started Star Wars podcasting all those years ago with Pete Nadel. Uh, absolutely, he was. Um, there was there were a, a couple of times where uh, Pete and I raised a couple of questions, and yeah, the very first guy officially from Lucasfilm to uh, email us was was Pete Vilmer, and uh, the very first Lucasfilm Christmas card we ever received on the podcast was from uh, Pete Vilmer. So uh, always, always really, really great to see Pete, and uh, glad that he is. Uh, with with Lucasfilm on an official capacity once more, and it's uh, it's it's fantastic. He's a he's a he's a good guy, and I think he was really the first one on the inside to say, you know, you might want to might want to listen to these guys. This podcast, they're they're not, they're not too bad. So not bad. He's not too bad himself. So we had a lot of fun hanging out with Pete and going through a lot of great Star Wars material that none of us have ever seen before, and. Um when Steve's ready to talk about this particular acquisition, then we'll have him on the show and we could really get down into the nitty and gritty of what this hall represents to the museum. As I said, it was like Jed Clampett shooting for some food because that <laughs> was the bounty that was harvested from this acquisition. And so that's all we can say about that because we've been sworn to secrecy about it. We have. And something else that was a mystery while we were out there was this big giant box in the Rancho Obi-Wan carport. And we kept getting teased by the crew over there at Rancho Obi-Wan. Oh, you guys are going to have to help us open this. We're not opening this until, you know, for two more days. You guys have to help us with this. So we're like, well, what is it? What's in there? It's a trap. That's what I was thinking. <laughs> but, um, but no, we, uh, we shot a video. Uh, for this uh, this unveiling of a new addition to Rancho Obi Wan, and it's safe to talk about it now because we're beyond the the uh, the fact. I, I think that Rancho Obi Wan made the big announcement about this already and released the video. You can check it out on our Facebook page as we pull out the contents of the mystery box. Jason, yeah, we pull it out, and it was a handmade. I, let's say it, what it was, hand-carved, hand-made, rocking horse in the style of a bantha. Yes. And had already been christened Bella the Bantha, and it was to go right alongside. It was actually made by the same guy. So if you've seen Steve's book, I believe the Tauntaun rocking horse is featured in the book. So this was going right by 
the Tauntaun. This is was it was Bella the Bantha, and my God, the attention to detail uh, is is just incredible on this thing. I mean, the, the craftsmanship. I tell you, Jim, after seeing some of these, I'll be honest with you. I'll be completely honest. When we would have Steve on in the past and he would say, you know, the items that are the most exciting to me right now are, is the stuff that the fans make. And I, you know, I'd hear that and I'd be like, well, yeah, I guess if you're Steve Sansweet and you have everything, uh, he doesn't have everything, but you have a lot of the things that that would be sort of, you know, your, your next thing. And I thought, oh, OK, so, you know, little kids draw pictures for Steve and send them to him. I just really didn't realize <laughs> quite the beauty uh, and and craftsmanship that goes into these into these handmade items. This is not just you know somebody whittling a bar of soap. You know this is uh, although I'm sure Steve probably has some soap uh, sculptures, but this is just really great uh, craftsmen and skilled people. Uh, really, just kind of pouring their passion out into these items. And uh, Bella the Bantha is just astonishing. So so very cool. Well, and Steve great. wrote it. Well, that's just it. It's it's writable for adults. Yeah, yeah. Paging Dan hey. Curto. <laughs> Would I be able to handle a big guy like me? Well, I'll tell you uh, what. Yeah, it was, you, the, the craftsmanship, <laughs> the the quality of yeah. the, the build itself, it, it, it could withstand the weight of an adult man, and that thing was amazing. And and they're very, you know, I, I was very honored to be there as they inducted Bella the Bantha into Rancho Obi-Wan. So everyone who goes on future tours, I'm sure you'll be treated to a visit with Bella the Bantha. And, and that was great. And it was fun shooting the video with Steve, of course. And you can see that on our uh, Facebook page and at RanchoObiWan.org and wherever you get information about Rancho Obi-Wan. So we, we had a wonderful uh, trip. Uh, hats off to both Bob and Ann who uh, made us dinners on... Uh, different nights, and uh, especially that last night with Anne, we were all just gathered around the table having a lot of laughs over some quality pasta and wine. And uh, who dropped in for dessert? Dave Filoni. That's right. Filoni stopped by Rancho Obi-Wan to surprise us, and he had just come off the ice. He was playing hockey. As uh, anyone who is a, a fan of uh, our conversations with Dave Filoni over the years, you know what a big hockey fan he is and the fact that he still plays is pretty cool he's a goalie and uh, he came post game and sat in for some dessert and some good conversation and some laughs and he stuck around for a long time and it was after midnight by the time Dave finally left and uh, Steve was going to go up into his office and check some emails that's the thing about Steve too what, what kind of fan ambassador he is he's so disciplined to to you know keep conversations going with fellow fans and answer requests and answer emails. Obviously he cannot cover nearly all of his emails. He gets so much correspondence, but he does what he can. And I admire that a great deal. And he was going to go up there and uh, take a look at his email. And I looked at Steve and Jason, I looked at you and I looked at my watch, and I said, I don't care what time it is. We came all the way out here. We need to sit down with you, Steve, and have a little conversation on the record about what a cool place Rancho Obi-Wan is and everything else you've been up to in your amazing career. So here it is, recorded live from Rancho Obi-Wan in the cantina with Steve Sansweet. Where are you going, Master? 
for a drink. Sorry about the mess. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. <laughs> I can't believe that the moment has finally come where I'm actually here at Rancho Obi-Wan. It's, I don't want to say it's old hat for you, but Jimmy, but you've been here before. This is your third trip is, to Rancho, isn't it? Well, you know what? Every time I'm here, it's amazing and an individual experience in itself. So while you can feel like you might be a veteran of Rancho Obi-Wan, in, in many ways, you're not because the place is constantly changing, constantly evolving. There's so many new things out on the shelves from the last time I was here, which was a couple years ago. And the stories about all the collectibles just keep getting better and better. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, it's it's not as it just a new experience if you've been here a couple of times. But Steve, Steve Sansweet, who we're actually in his office right now, surrounded by... Lots of stuff that needs to be unpacked and put away. But I get the feeling that it's a new experience for you every time you walk through. It really is. You know, I've done, like, this is the third tour in three days, and (laughs) um, they've all had their own little challenges, but, but they're all exciting in their own ways. And I find that I tend to tell different stories or tell stories in different ways and stop and point out different things, depending on the makeup of the audience. And the tour that you guys were on today, and it's the first time Jimmy has been on a tour. An official tour, that's right. And so really hasn't gotten my whole shtick. (laughs) But but it changes all the time based on the audience and their level of interest, um, their age. I mean, sometimes the most challenging ones are when you have, you know, really kids that are right at the level of of about understanding or Mm -hmm. maybe you know a year past that and then you have the adults and you have some hardcore collectors and you have some spouses who couldn't care less (laughs) and it's trying to get all of those people interested and and make it a good experience for them um you know even if their passion is not star wars collecting or even star wars you had mentioned uh we were walking around last night something about yeah I, i i have this one item and i I haven't seen it for seven years. Yep. There are a lot of items that I haven't seen for six or seven years. Uh, I think I was talking about some uh, lead figures from Brazil that were mm-hmm. not <clears throat> authorized, but they're very cool and they're and and they're very well known in the in the certain areas of the collecting community. Uh, there was something my partner Bob got me years ago that was uh, the Stormtrooper Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> and um, and he's anxious for me to find it because why don't you bring the Beavis and Butthead to shows? Why isn't that on the show? <laughs> because we haven't seen it for six years. <laughs> so things things do get and, – and it's been impossible for a while to even look for things because each of the stairways to our three lofts have been blocked by items, yeah, and so it, it's as as Ann Newman, our general manager, says, it's like a fifteen puzzle. You have to have room to move one thing, and then you move this there, and then you move that there, and eventually, you know, we'll, we'll yeah. get around to it. It just you get frustrated sometimes. But we we've been making tons of changes around here just in the last couple of months. Do you ever take a moment to just go out and look at your collection by yourself? Do you ever feel the the need or the desire to do that? Yeah, I do. I, mm-hmm. I, I walk through it, and I'll look at certain things, mm-hmm. and I'll remember things that I meant to fix six months ago. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
and for for a long time when i this light box that i have this uh, fiber optic light box that was at fao schwartz at their headquarters store in new york city um and i i lusted after that for years and finally when they went bankrupt and it was part of their bankruptcy auction i i got it and every night i would just go into the museum and i would go back turn that on t- come back to the front steps and sit on the steps and and turn off all the other lights and just be mesmerized by that. I mean, that was night after oh, wow. night after night. And there's still there's such cool things in there and 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 I love, you know, changing the shelves around so people are people are starting to come back for second and third visits and I want to have different stuff out there. Then again, there's some things I love so much and that that it's hard for me to to move, but I find there's a lot of things that I don't talk about. Mhm. And if I filled the shelves with everything cool, then they would be like 10-hour tours. And as it is, the tours are normally three-plus hours. And and they're designed so you just get to the point of exhaustion, <laughs> and then there's an adrenaline kick that comes in. And, and I, I don't want to have to explain that uh, 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 too much, but it, it, it's really designed for a series of reveals and different different aspects of Star Wars and of collecting in different rooms and different environments. Well, there's a showbiz aspect to it. There it's, definitely is. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's definitely built in that way. And my, my biggest fun on a tour is watching the expressions on faces <laughs> The first door is open. You know, we're we're in a relatively crowded area in a hallway, and we show the bathroom. Well, why would you show that? Well, because <laughs> it has thirty-seven years of Star Wars collectibles in it, uh, personal care items, <laughs> and then we go into the office and the library, and they're all sort of relatively small rooms. And then there's a big reveal, and watching the faces light up and the oh my gods and stuff like that, and then. And then we go through the museum, and then we get into the weird area, and then we go into the treasure room, and then we, you know everybody's just sort of okay. It's been a it's been a tour, and you know it's two hours, and and then we do the final reveal, and <laughs> yeah. it's very theatrical, and and I, I I planned it just that way, and it's 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 pacing, and it's storytelling, and it's theater. And yeah, Star in Star Wars. I mean, that's what Star Wars is about. It definitely gets punched in the hyperdrive <laughs> once you get to that point in the yeah. tour. There was a lady today. I noticed she, with that first reveal, she was choking back tears. Does that is that a typical reaction that you see? Um, I, I see everything from something like that to like people do involuntary giggles, like they did <laughs> when Star Wars first came out, and you and you involuntarily looked overhead to see where the Star Destroyer was coming from, <laughs> yeah. and sort of laughed out loud because you knew that was the silliest thing in the world to do. <laughs> and other people, you know, kids especially, are just like slack jawed wow. and stare, and and like they're frozen in place. And then he says, "Yeah, move, move you can go in there now." <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, we had a, a a pretty diverse crew with us as we went through the collection today. We did, and uh, yeah. we did have a one young girl, and she seemed to be as compelled by the presentation as your old school original trilogy Star Wars fan, which there were a few in the group as well. And uh, it's great to see it cross the generations and 
see how it's an event for all ages when they come here. Yeah, and and of course, Star Wars is now an, a, a three-generation and about to be four-generation phenomenon. And um, and so we, we, we see this being passed down, mm-hmm. and we see it being passed up, too, which is an interesting phenomenon of kids who have really, I mean, parents who have seen Star Wars or know about Star Wars or something like that, or maybe the grandparents are even more, you know, than the kids. But the kids who have watched Clone Wars, mm-hmm. and and they get excited by Clone Wars and this girl, who I'll bet you is a huge Ahsoka fan, although we didn't talk about it. And they're passing their excitement and interest up to their parents. And um, it's just, it's just, it goes all different ways. It's, uh, I mean, that's the thing about Star Wars. I think Star Wars, you know, to, to overuse a word that is, is vastly overused, Star Wars really is unique among all of the franchises, among all of the science fiction and fantasy that we've seen over the last 40, 50 years. Um, it's unique in its staying power. It's unique in the kinds of people it has attracted and in the passion it still evokes. Um, and and how that passion is translated. Yeah. And Jason? Yeah. Following your first tour. Yes. <laughs> this is the the most popular question you're going to be asked. <laughs> yeah. What was your favorite piece in the museum? Well, I I really feel that for me, this is just my own the stuff that turns me on is anything that was actually used in the film. Right. I I okay. can't look at an item that was actually used in the making of the movies and not get goosebumps, not feel that sense of, of awe. And Steve has a Darth Vader and, you know, as fans, we're accustomed to going into conventions and seeing, you know, a very convincing Darth Vader, but Steve's is different. Steve's is, you know, uh, screen used piece by piece, Steve, you can describe it better, but it's it actually incorporates a couple of different movies. Yeah, the, the, the Vader costume was put together three different times, and um, the leather undersuit, the codpiece, and the woolen undercape were screen used in Star Wars. The codpiece still has the original costumer's tag, Berman's and Nathan's and Darth Vader. Uh, the helmet and the mask were uh, made for Empire and screen used in The Empire Strikes Back. And the rest of the costume was an appearance costume that was made by ILM for the original actor who was sent out all across the country portraying Darth Vader at Toys R Us openings and museums and shopping centers and things like that, signing Darth Vader. Or was he signing Darth Vader? That, no, that was a typo in the early buttons and posters and stuff. But um, so, so, yeah, so I put it together three different times. So a good part of the costume is authentic and screen used. And that's, that's very exciting for me. And then there are other pieces around the museum that were screen used or made uh, and, and not quite used, but were made at the time the film was made. Uh, So those are cool pieces to have. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, something like the, uh, the pieces you have of the death star, uh, you know, you look at something like a costume and there's just so much attention to detail. And then you look at something like the pieces of the Death Star and, you know, you can see where it's hand painted or quickly taped or, you know, kind of mashed together. But when you see it on screen, it's, you know. Yeah. And and I think I told you the, the surprising thing to me, because I got the Death Star parts it, it, from different purchases, was finding in, in one of my purchases... Two-sided cardboard painted gun towers. 
<laughs> held together by tape. And I thought, what the heck is this? And realized that they actually used these when they were you know, doing parts of the Death Star set. You would never be able to pick them out on screen, but it added to the massiveness. And they, they, they felt that at just that point they needed another gun tower and they weren't going to make another one. Or they just thought that this would work. And they're beautifully hand-painted by ILM guys. And uh, it's part of the right. Death it, it reminds me of when... Uh, George was he was at one of the conventions and going up and down the aisles and he looked I think at an ad ad or something and said boy the toys are better than what we yeah. had to make the movies and uh, you know you, when you see it up close you realize thus the special editions and, <laughs> yeah. and that's what I, and that's what I always say is is that these things are made for movie use they're not made to look at up close they're not made to last. Um, it's like the Yoda I have made from the original molds in 1982. Well, all of the Yodas were made out of latex. They they needed to be puppets. They needed to be flexible, and um, and but at least they had the original molds, and they made eight, six of which are are or were at Lucasfilm, <laughs> um, uh, using a polyurethane to make the head, the hands, the feet, the cane, and the pan flute, so that there are existing Yodas that look exactly like the Yoda from Empire Strikes Back. You know what my favorite piece of screen-used, authentic prop and or costume in this entire collection? Forlom's crotch! <laughs> Why am I not surprised that we'd go there? Yes, we have the crotch of a bounty hunter from Empire Strikes Back. And it's Forlom. My favorite story about Forlom is it was named by the, the guys at ILM, and it stands for For the Love of Money. Right. And, um, and, and how I got the crotch, I mean, it's such a ridiculous story that I, I usually don't even say. And this guy was just you know trying to sell it to me for a couple of years. and uh, <laughs> For large cash sums. <laughs> well, yeah, it got less and less and less and less until finally he needed you know to pay the apartment rent. Right. I really didn't want it. I didn't know if it was real. I thought, what the? Who would have four lombs crotch? I mean, that's ridiculous. Well, it turns out we had a visit from one of the um, one of the uh, Lucasfilm archive employees a couple of months ago, and she looked at it and she said, "Oh, so there it is." <laughs> She's thought, got the rush. Whoa. <laughs> She's got the rest. Um, there are still some parts that are missing, but they have the head, the torso. Um, I think they have most of the legs, but they're missing the feet or something like that. And so um, I said, well, you know, I'd be happy if you would bring over your pieces if you want to reconnect. <laughs> she wasn't really um, cool about that, but, um, you know, maybe we can do a trade. You know, they've got a bunch of... Uh, Movie used stormtrooper rifles. I mean, maybe there's a trade there. Yeah, they, maybe. Can their, they can get their crotch back. I can get a rifle. I, I think that's a, a crotch for a rifle. I think. <laughs> uh, let's start. Let's start an online well, yeah, campaign to reunite yes. Forlom with reunite, his crotch. Yes. I, I imagine that not having. <laughs> I mean, really, after all these years. Jimmy Mack, you would get me into this movie, wouldn't you? I'm going to regret saying this stuff. I'm going to regret this. You know, what's funny is I always grew up calling that character Zuckus. Because of the Kenner action and because figures. Because the, the Kenner action figures, and they were, they were given the wrong information. Yep. Zuckus, Forlom. Mm -hmm. And then West End Games, years later, pointed out, well, wait a second. This doesn't go with the naming structure. All of the droids have letters and and numbers, and but there aren't any droids that are you know have names. And they went, 
Golly, you're right. And so they that's at the time when they renamed Forlom and Zuckus, and Forlom became the, the droid. So I always grew up thinking that that, you know, the, the names were... And I still call them well, by those Well, wait names. a minute, though. Now, is it... And we've talked about this on the show before, but is it for LOM or for LOM? For LOM. Now, see, of course, the commercial, the Kenner commercial with the kids saying, cut out your proof of purchases and mail them away for for LOM. Right, because you don't call him C3PO. No, but yeah, for LOM is what fans eventually ended up calling him. I remember having a friend of mine say for LOM. And I said, oh, I think it's for LOM because I recall that commercial. So it's back in the early days of the Internet. And I put up something on the AOL message boards <laughs> saying, how do you prefer to refer to this character for LOM or for LOM? And the one response that stands out to, to me the most that I can remember was some guy said, if I had to call that thing for LOM, I wouldn't call him anything at all. <laughs> I mean, for LOM makes more sense because of when you know how, what the name means. Yeah. But I've always called him for LOM. For LOM. We'll continue mm-hmm. to call him for LOM. So. Right. Where are you on the ATAT ad at debacle? Uh, I go both ways on that. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. No, I, I say at at, and I will say at at. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, or Imperial Walkers, Imperial Walkers, or what the hell does it stand? Armed? Oh my goodness! Now, now, Jimmy, we know we know where your dad stands on the at at. Oh, we were just talking the at at. Well, really? <laughs> no, but this is this is one of those. Uh, Great moments of uh, that a parent can have with the, or a child can have with his parent. So it was at that point when I had bought my house, and every time I would go home for a family function, my mom would have boxes of crap of mine to take home. Go put it in your own attic. I don't want it anymore. And so uh, my brother and I were moving things out to the car, and my dad was at the top steps, and we were down in the foyer by the front door, and he yelled down, "Boys!" Whose ad ad is this? Is this Jimmy's? <laughs> and my brother and me, we looked at each other right away. We could read each other's minds. And I think we both said simultaneously, how does he know that that's an ad ad? How does he know this? And so it was just like osmosis over the years. I mean, I, typically he would refer to something like that as a giant mechanical elephant. <laughs> what is this elephant, robot elephant doing up here? But no, just the fact that he called it an ad ad, that's when I knew that my fandom had had an impact. It had, it had rubbed off on your dad. <laughs> if it had rubbed up on him, that's funny. then that's the whole thing. I remember seeing Star Wars for the first time with my dad. As a matter of fact, in the Insider magazine where they uh, made the announcement that we're going to be stage hosts, issue 149, not like I'm counting, but... um. <laughs> In that magazine, I showed it to my dad on Father's Day, because obviously I'm proud of that. And uh, he looked at it, and the line said, Jimmy Mack fell in love with Star Wars when he first saw it in a darkened movie theater back in summer 1977. And my dad stopped it and actually got misty for a second and said, boy, I remember that like it was yesterday. Mm. And I do, too, oddly enough, because of the impact it had on me as an eight-year-old. And I remember he leaned over to me, and he said, yo, Vader was up on the screen. He said, "Who, who is that guy again? And I go, his name is Death Invader. <laughs> Thinking, you know, I had it all together. He goes, oh, geez, you really know a lot about this stuff. <laughs> Little did he know. Death Invader. Death Invader. I was convinced that that was his name. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that's, I think, part of the power of, of a place like Rancho Obi-Wan is that you have all of these memories that's connected to these items. 
Um, I mean, for even for me, I, I would look at things and it was like my childhood is on this shelf. Um, so obviously, you know, each one of these things can mean and evoke a whole lot of different memories. Do you, you find that people yeah, and, say and, to you, I had that yeah, or and, and different and people will say, do you have the blah, 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 and I'll, you know, if it's not on the shelf, I'll go around the corner and pull it out. Right. And uh, Kevin Smith played that game once when when we were taping a show here and he said, well, I bet you don't have the blah, blah, blah. and I would go and I would get <laughs> it. And I bet you don't have the blah, blah, blah. and he said, well, I, I know one thing you won't have. You don't have a Star Wars fan. And of course, he meant a living Breathing. Another living, breathing person on the shelf or something. And I went back and got one of those Japanese fans that advertised Star Wars. <laughs> yes, yes. He said, I get it. I get it. Um, but yeah, different people react to different things. And either, you know, with laughter or with horror in some <laughs> cases. Um, because we're, we're getting into some pretty edgy things now that a lot of underground artists are doing. But my passion is 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 fan art and 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 fan made objects and underground art and uh, what the fan passion has translated into the creativity but different things talk to different people and that's what makes it interesting that there is a broad enough variety of things from you know from the books and 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 calendars to the you know to the fan club stuff to you know giant giant statues and pieces of art yeah i I think when people hear you steve you say fan-made stuff you know maybe they might think of you know something that their kid might make in school or something i mean but this is this is stuff that is well in some cases would make great products you know great consumer products but they're so complicated they're so time-consuming to make that they're one-offs or two-offs or three-offs. Yeah, are you talking about the embroidered toilet paper, for example? <laughs> <laughs> that one wasn't Embro- jumping to mind. I but- don't understand embroidered toilet paper, but that's, a, that's another matter. But yeah, but yeah no, it's true that, that some of these things exist, you know, as, as 10 or 50 or 100. And I think that's one of the reasons that over the years Lucasfilm has allowed people to do things like that it's one thing if you're making a hundred thousand counterfeit somethings and try to bring them in and sell them on the market um but but you know these are you know artists and they're and they're doing you know live very limited edition something well i mean that shows even more how much star wars has has just entered and and become such a a a major part of popular culture worldwide Mm -hmm. um and you know i've traveled around the world because of star wars and and have met fans you know in scores of countries and 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 we get visitors from all over the world from you know japan and and scandinavia and new zealand and you know it's just it's it's amazing um how worldwide star wars has become you mentioned kevin smith has passed through here um obviously you've been hearing kevin shout from the top of the mountain that he has visited the set of star wars episode Mm seven uh what do you think about his 
obviously really enthusiastic reaction to what he saw out there. Well, I think it's great. I, I have really high hopes for Episode 7. I know nothing about it. I know nothing about the script, only you know things that I've seen uh, and, and photos that J.J. Abrams has posted. But uh, I have confidence that they are, you know, with Kathleen Kennedy producing, they're really going to make a movie that, that is going to be interesting and funny and is, is really going to... Um, excite us all. I would caution that we shouldn't expect the second coming again as <laughs> the expectations were for episode one, no matter what episode. And I liked episode one, and I liked the prequels. But the, the expectations were were impossible. I mean, no matter what that movie would have been, for people... You can't re-experience exactly the same sensation that you mm. experienced when you were 19 years younger or whatever that, that period was. So it's going to be its own thing, and it should be accepted for its own uh -huh. thing. But but I think they, they have said all the right things. I think they, they certainly understand Star Wars and what makes it work. And uh, I have confidence with, you know, Larry Kasdan uh, being aboard and J.J. is an excellent director and Kathleen Kennedy is one of the top producers in Hollywood and has been for 40 years and a good friend of George's. So um, everything is everything is pointing the right way mm -hmm. for for a really a really good movie. You know what I think the biggest difference is as far as you brought up fan expectations is that with the prequels. I think fans of the original trilogy were expecting something from the prequels that they didn't necessarily get or didn't understand, you know, just didn't sync up with. But I think now with now that we're in the age of social media and everything, it's not only old fans who might be putting unrealistic expectations, but it's the younger fans too who might be experiencing the event of Star Wars theatrical releases for the first time right and they want to know what the big deal is all about right so their expectations might be higher even than they the older be, fans they might be different um and if you've just experienced star wars in as clone wars on right. the theater or star wars on even a big screen tv mm -hmm. it'll be a lot different i mean the whole theatrical experience and the reason why there's still a lot of theaters around is that that is an experience that you cannot repeat in the home. Mm -hmm. It is a communal experience, and and you are feeling the emotions and the feelings of the people around you, even if you aren't tuned directly into it. And if you get a restless audience because the picture sucks, <laughs> I mean, that's going to affect your enjoyment of the movie. There's something about a darkened movie theater that just cannot be repeated anywhere else. And so, you know, we're all going to go into this with different levels of expectations, different histories, and, you know, you, you, you bring all of that into a movie theater with you, and, and you react, and it's up, to the, it's up to the people who are making that movie to make sure it works on many different levels. Yeah, you react, and then you tweet. Yeah, well, or yeah. sometimes Ho it's the other way yes. around. Uh, hopefully, you don't tweet while the movie is on, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, that would be, uh, that would be not cool. So, but yeah, the big screen is is certainly the place to see a Star Wars movie, and then and then we're going to get the people who grew up on the prequels, yeah, who love the prequels because these are the first movies they saw on the big screen, 
And, I mean, it, it always sort of surprised me in the beginning when I was going around for Lucasfilm in 96, and I would ask my audiences at all these conventions what their favorite film was. And, you know, based on what, you know, the, the, the OT fans, you know, the hardcore fans would say, you know, invariably it would have to be, it would most likely be Empire Strikes Back, and then you get, a, you know, a bunch of hands for the original Star Wars. Um and I started seeing a lot of hands for Return of the Jedi, and it turns out these were people who had, that was the first movie they saw on the screen, and that was their favorite movie of the three. Jason Ray's that's uh, yeah, that's and, me. And 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 it's it's true. I mean, it's it's that experience, and that's what makes a movie yeah. so important. It's that experience that you have, and that interaction. And so I'm never surprised when somebody tells me that their favorite movie is Episode One or <laughs> or Return of the Jedi or any of that. It all has to do with what you saw, where you were, who you were at the mm-hmm. time. Um, and and everybody is right because it's your own thing. It's your own thing. Yeah, we even right Jimmy and I even have like uh, kind of our own equivalent of prequel wars, where I'll tell him that I think Return of the Jedi is the best, and he'll tell me he thinks Episode Four is the best. I go, nah, it's I a little know. a little boring at the beginning. No, <laughs> you can't say that. <laughs> You can't host a Star yeah, Wars podcast. Right. And say that, you can't sit in Rancho Obi Wan and say that. <laughs> Listen, do you see what he does? Well, except I love Ewoks too. So, I, mean, I, I will be branded for life, but I love Ewoks. But uh, but I fully realized that that was because of the the age that I was and the impression yes. of seeing it on that big screen. Yeah, abso- absolutely. Yeah. And people ask me what my favorite movie is, and for years I was saying Empire, and I'm I sort of now defer to Episode Four because without Star Wars. There wouldn't have been any of the rest. And when you go back and you and you look at that movie, I mean, Empire is a great movie, mm-hmm. but Star, there's something about Star Wars and the interaction of the characters and the humor, and it just worked so magnificently well. All the ingredients were mixed in the bowl so perfectly yep. for A New Hope. Because it was the result of all the research George had done into storytelling, mythology, fiction, even the Bible, for crying out loud. I mean, these are also a lot of luck because you have to realize that George Lucas thought up to the day that movie opened. He thought it was going to bomb. That not only was it going to bomb, but it was going to be the end of his career. (laughs) Now, Fox also thought, you know, oh, my God, until the first test screening at the North Point Theater uh, on May 1st of 77. And Alan Ladd came up for it. And... um, and then, uh, and there were questionnaires. I still remember, you know, like which team did you like the best? And uh, it was like, uh, and one of one of the teams was Darth Vader and Obi Wan. <laughs> did you what? attend? Did you attend this screening? No, I didn't. Okay, not. no, right. but I have the the questionnaires mm-hmm. in the Star Wars vault that I did. And uh, it's just you know, funny stuff like that. And um, and then and then there's the the anecdote about when Alan Ladd went to see it in Japan. Mm. And you know this was this was like one of the last countries where it opened, and they were counting on a really good box office in Japan. And there was a lot of merchandise depending on it. And um, and 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 Laddie tells the story that the movie ends, and there is this deathly silence in the theater 
And he gets up out of his seat and he starts to walk out and he thinks, oh my God, it just didn't work. It's and then all of a sudden, it was like the entire audience was enthralled. And all of a sudden, all the applause started yeah. and the hoots and the hollies, mm. which is not typical of a Japanese audience. Do you know if wow. that, that first uh, screening, uh, if the John Williams soundtrack was intact? Yeah. It was. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure. Uh, they were still doing final sound mixes. Mm -hmm. And so the first, the first fully mixed version was 75 millimeter. Oh. And then George was still working on the 35 millimeter stereo sound mix and the monaural sound mix the day Star Wars opened, the famous story that he and his wife were eating hamburgers across the street from the Chinese theater. And he looks up and he sees this crowd of people across the street. And he says, oh, wow. What's bringing all those people? He had totally forgot. He was so dead and 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 uh, just you know working around the clock on the sound mix and nearby. And he said, "I'm gonna I'm gonna see what that movie is." And so after after they had finished, and he goes outside and he said he he looks up to the marquee and he says, "Quote." Holy moly, it's Star Wars. <laughs> now, whether he really said holy moly, he was just being sort of gentle at the time. Um, yeah, but, you know, he, was, he had totally forgotten that that was the opening day of Star Wars. And then I think he felt a little better that his career probably wasn't going to end. Yeah, yeah. He's like, we signed the money. <laughs> I think he said that. Didn't he? <laughs> it had to start somewhere. Yes, they had to start somewhere. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Well, that's uh, th those are like great memories. I, I love going back to the just those those moments in time right before the film hit. Yeah. Because when it hit, it hit big, and it hit fast. It spread fast. And that's one of the points I make on the tour is yeah. because out of inspiration and out of desperation. Lucasfilm was the first company to go directly to the fans a year before the movie opened. Mm -hmm. They went to Comic-Con when it was six years old in San Diego. They brought whatever they had to Comic-Con and Worldcon, and, and they brought the fans in. And Lucasfilm has treated fans well ever since. And it, you need to let people play in that big sandbox mm -hmm. that is Star Wars. And I think that's a lesson for a lot of movie companies that they learn from Lucasfilm. And I, I had the, the, the real privilege of following in some amazing footsteps yeah. uh, of Charlie Lippincott and some of the other early people, Maureen Garrett, who was the first fan club head. I mean, they did a wonderful job with fan relations. It was a very important part of keeping the Star Wars community together. And that's what we all love about Star Wars, in addition to the movies and, and everything else, is that sense of community. That's what draws the fans together. That's what draws tens of thousands of people to the big celebration event. And that's what draws them to Rancho Obi-Wan. And that's what draws them to Rancho Obi-Wan, although I don't think we could handle tens of thousands at any one time. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're, we're booking tours left and right. It's been, uh, it's been really satisfying. We've had, we've had to add some, some extra tours on. I mean, we usually do two book tours a week. But they have been just really booking up, and you know we get hardship cases and people say, oh, <laughs> and so you know we 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 try to be as accommodating as possible. And uh, by the way, I want to thank you for your help today in opening that big sealed carton with yeah. the mysterious Bella the Bantha walking horse <laughs> in it. Bantha. So yes, that was that was really cool. So uh, yeah, we can see that uh, unveiling on Facebook. Well, yeah. we have yeah, we have a new mascot here for Rancho Obi-Wan. Well, we have lots of mascots. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But Bella the Bantha is pretty cool and made by a good friend of mine, Woodchuck. 
Chuck Bowman in Florida, who's uh, an expert uh, wood craftsman and a magician too. He does uh, he does close up sleight of hand stuff, and uh, just just a wonderful guy. And you know, I'm thrilled to have that piece and. Um, uh, Tilly the Tauntaun, the smalling, uh, smaller rocking horse, and mm-hmm. hopefully we'll get to display them at uh, some other uh, sites other than Rancho Obi Wan someday. Yeah, I, that that the Bantha is one example of something that you say, gosh, if there was only enough uh, uh, money or whatever, that that could actually really work as a consumer product. It could, it, but it's really, it's really the handcrafting of it, and that's the, right, and the love and and the skill that went into making this. And and Chuck said, well, you know, the, w- w- when when you revealed your your Tauntaun rocking horse, people were just after me to make <laughs> you know Tauntaun rocking horses. He said, I'm telling you right now, I'm never making another one of those bandos <laughs> because it was really hard. No, silly complex, and we'll have some behind the scenes photos of that uh, big unwrapping uh, on our Facebook page cool. as well. So we'll link up with Ranch Olby once. So, so I, yes, I, I, I do appreciate your, your, your muscle. Oh, we were so, so invaluable there. <laughs> <laughs> but I do think I swallowed a couple packing peanuts. Uh, yeah, I'm so pretty pack- sure I did. I've never seen so many pink packing peanuts, pink <laughs> packing peanuts in my entire life. <laughs> Say that three times fast. I'd rather not. Yeah. But uh, so you mentioned Kevin Smith has been here, and, and I, we know there's been a lot of other notable personalities. Um, Seth Green, um, who else is yeah, Seth been? Green, who has punked me? Right, right. Uh, now, what yeah. what has he done here? He is he's uh, caused damage and destruction to this place, well, hasn't he? Almost um, <laughs> allegedly. Yeah. Well, you know, Seth Seth uh, Seth saw my missile firing Boba Fett, one of them, and said, um, "Can I actually touch that?" And I said. Seth, you're the only one I would allow to do that. And I carefully unlocked the case, Uh-oh. and I carefully lifted it up and brought it over to him, and he gently caressed it, <laughs> and then put his finger, what looked to me from a slight distance, uh-huh. on the firing mechanism of this very valuable, rare toy. He says, um, so the missile fires like this, doesn't it? And and I said I screamed, and he said, "Gotcha!" So uh, um, totally, <laughs> totally punctured. And then after, during one of our uh, during one of our galas, Anne found him in the back of the stacks, um, sort of going, "Whoops!" And she heard something fall on the floor. So I still don't know what it was. <laughs> whether he, he's, he's great. Though. That's the beauty of it. You break something, Steve won't find it for yeah, seven, probably, eight years. <laughs> but we've, we've had a bunch of the actors here. I mean, before we had reopened as a non-profit, Jeremy Bullock and his lovely wife have been here. Peter Mayhew and his wife, Angie. Um, Kenny Baker. Um, uh, uh, Daniel Logan. Um, Ralph McQuarrie was here. Ralph, oh yeah, Ralph was here, and and uh, Ralph, to my to my regret, Ralph was coming back with his wife, and that was the weekend that he got hospitalized. And uh, you know, sp- speaking of Ralph, you told a, a story on the tour today about a banner, and you were you mentioned Comic Con and how Lucasfilm was at the forefront of taking their message to the fans. There's an interesting connection between a Comic-Con banner and Ralph McQuarrie. Yeah, the banner, um, you know, I was told somebody at Lucasfilm painted it uh, in 1976, and they brought it to Comic-Con and Worldcon, and um, uh, there is a silkscreen 
um, version of Starkiller, and that was one of Ralph's first illustrations, and that was from an early draft of George's script, and that was a composite ca- character that became partly Han, partly Luke. Uh, there's a little bit of Obi-Wan in there. And they used that as the decal on the film cans. Some of the early ones had the Star Wars on it. And um, and so this was in the middle of this poster with the same logo painted on it and, you know, blue paint and black paint. And when Ralph was here the last time, you know, probably about eight years ago now, he said, um, oh, yeah, I remember painting that. I said, wait a second. <laughs> wait a second. You hand-painted this banner for Comic-Con? Oh, yeah, I did whatever they asked me to do. And besides, that's my original logo, and I still like it better than theirs. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. So you had an original Macquarie, and you didn't even the know it. only Macquarie banner, probably, that wow. ever yeah. got painted. And, uh, yeah, and it's, it's, it is truly my treasured piece because not only because of the Ralph connection, but because that's what I did for 15 years at Lucasfilm. It was fan relations and, and becoming a part of the fan community and the liaison between fans and Lucasfilm and Lucasfilm and the fans. And, um, and, and as I said, I followed in some, in some giant footsteps and, um, that banner ties me to those very early days, a year before Star Wars came out, and and there is a line that goes all the way through, and that and that that line is Lucasfilm's realization of how important the fan community was to the success of Star Wars and remains. Yeah. Well, I don't know that we've ever really discussed, but uh, you know, the fans. There's a lot of fans of what you do, and what you're trying to do here with Rancho Obi Wan. If you if there are fans that are out there saying, you know, I really would like to I want to contribute, I want to make a difference, I want to help secure the legacy of what Steve's trying to do. What are some ways that fans can actually get involved well, um, with what you're doing you know, here? What we're trying to do is preserve a lot of this and tell the story about how really the merchandise played a huge role. I mean, obviously the movies come first, but the merchandise played a huge role in making Star Wars such a major part of the worldwide pop culture and making it so well-known to even people who didn't see the Star Wars movies that, you know, when they would see a Darth Vader figure in an editorial cartoon years and years ago, even if they hadn't seen Star Wars, they knew what it stood for. Mm -hmm. Um, Ronald Reagan would talk about the evil empire. They they got it. Um, And so... Uh, we're trying to preserve that history. N- none of the money that we raise goes to buying things. That's all my stupid, uh, my um, <laughs> uh, my uh, expenditures. But but we raise money. We are a nonprofit, um, and, and we raise money to help preserve. You know, to pay the utility bills, to be able to do the tours um, uh, for security, uh, for preservation. Um, and so the simplest way is to go to www.ranchoobiwan.org, become a member. It's $40 a year. You get a wonderful membership kit with a great patch. Every year there's a new membership kit. It's just like the old Star Wars fan club used to do that Lucasfilm doesn't do anymore. Um, and then if you renew your membership, you get a special pin for that year. And we've started doing some other stuff. And then every year we have a gala. Or you can just contribute money. You can you can sign up for Amazon Smile. So anytime you buy anything on Amazon and you've designated Rancho Obi-Wan as the beneficiary, they'll give 1% of what you spent on that purchase 
to Rancho Obi Wan. I didn't know and you could do that. Very easy. This is the to first time we, we probably need to you know, put that out there yes, again and make absolutely. that a lot clearer because it's it's just like ordering from Amazon. It doesn't cost any more, but Amazon's foundation is giving us money off of the sale, and I spend a lot on Amazon, and so a lot of that is is going to Rancho Obi Wan. On uh, on um, uh, eBay, we also have the the Rancho Obi Wan store, and we have Rancho Obi Wan dupe deals, and so these are. Things that I accidentally bought duplicates and triplicates of years ago or recently, <laughs> and so we're selling those off um, on eBay. And you get a little certificate signed by me that says this was part of the Rancho Obi Wan duplicate collection. So you're, you're you're able to bid and you're able to get things at good prices. It's not just Jar Jar figures, <laughs> which, by the way, in some countries are impossible to find because they all got bought up. Um, and uh, it, it, there are other ways. People who live locally have been great as volunteers. We always need volunteers to help uh, everything from sorting in the library to you know heavy lifting to you know fixing things that get broken. And, and we have a really good base of volunteers, and I'm I'm so thankful for that. Uh, our coming gala is September twentieth. Um, we're having people flying in from all over the country. We we know we have somebody from Canada and somebody from Europe flying in for that. And that that raises a, a good chunk of the money for the year for us. Plus, we have silent and live auctions, and we have some of the most amazing items to auction. Um, the you know one of a kind items, artwork from some of the famous Star Wars uh, artists. Well, you know the in, not just prints, but but original works of art. And even if you can't make it here, uh, you can you can buy a ticket to the gala, and you, that enables you to bid on any of the items in the live auction. And and we have an independent third party who has the you know all the top bids, and will not will will bid just like eBay it won't mm-hmm. automatically bid your top bids. So you can get it for far less than you bid, but it lets you take part in the auction because we'll have photos of all of the auction, live auction items online so you'll be able to see. So there are all kinds of ways that That's you can great. help out. Um, you know, we're not looking for somebody to send us, uh, you know, four dozen action figures or anything <laughs> of that nature. Um, You're good on product. Well, we're good on product. <laughs> you know, again, I love fan-made stuff and we can't accept everything but there's a lot of art that artists will send us and and you know so so we look for that but you know really it's it's the hardest thing for me to do is to ask for money and but and have to go out and and try to get sponsors and things of that god bless little debbie who is uh both rebel force radio and and rancho obi-wan sponsor and they've been great and so, you know, other companies like that, and you know, we're always looking, we're always asking, and um, and it's it's just, I think, really necessary to keep this going as long as possible. So there's plenty of ways to do it. So you, we're discouraging everyone from sending you four dozen action figures, right? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Come on. Siri? Yes, Jimmy Mack. Please... Cancel the order for four dozen action figures for Rancho Obi-Wan. Thank you. Instead, Siri, send a check out of my checking account for $1,000, and I can become a Rancho Obi-Wan angel and get a Lucite star just like Gary Kerr. Oh, shut up, Siri. I can search the web for...
I become a Rincho Obi-Wan angel. <laughs> are you an angel? <laughs> Siri, oh are you an angel? We were talking about you, not me. <laughs> I hear they come from the moons of Iago. I'm not sure I understand. Nah, she's not <laughs> yeah. a fan. Yeah. She's Clearly not, a fan. not. Moons of Iago. What are you talking about? She is thinking. What are you talking about? But yeah, we you know we do have we do have a lot of sponsors and we do have. Uh, uh, donors at the thousand dollar level, and we do give out the we do give the lucite stars, just like Gary Kurtz had made up for the tables of the first benefit screenings of Star Wars at Empire Strikes. Oh, cool! Mm. That's awesome. Well, and the best way to for folks to keep up with what's going on here at Rancho Obi Wan, our Facebook page. We have uh, the Rancho Obi Wan Facebook page. I have a Steve Sansweet. Facebook page that's more general about Star Wars news, but the Rancho Obi Wan page is really about what we're doing here and what's happening and and all the cool things like opening Bella the <laughs> and uh, and our Rancho Obi Wan uh, website RanchoObiWan dot org where we have um, uh, when I remember to edit them uh, <laughs> we 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 we're trying to have weekly or biweekly blogs written by our board of directors and outsiders about you know collectibles and things like that and we've had some really cool blogs and and we'll post those and let people know that they're up uh, by posting them on our Facebook page so we're trying to add more content to that I'll tell you guys, it's really difficult with basically two people running this operation. Yeah. And it's Ann and, and, and me. And without Ann, there would be no Rancho Obi-Wan. And without all this stuff, there'd be no Rancho Obi-Wan. Um, and and Consetta Parker, who's our, again, our marketing PR lady. And we have a wonderful board of directors that's been very supportive. And, uh, it, it, you know, it, it, takes, it takes a... A village it's mm. a community and the community of star wars fans is, is absolutely the best in the world well it's fantastic what you're doing here i'm a believer i was before i saw it now that i've seen it for myself uh it's uh you have to do it it's 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 mecca for star wars fans i really think that it is uh the place to come and while i love your traveling exhibit that is at various cons very celebration primarily that's just a small little taste. We we figured that that was less than even the cool stuff mm. we put out was less than one tenth of one percent of yeah. what mm. we have in the museum. I can't tell the stories because I mean we have little cards and things like that, but it's it's a totally different experience. Yeah, to come here. but I don't want anybody thinking that they can just see it at the convention and that's good enough for them. It's a taste. It's a taste. It's a taste. Come get the full hit. Yeah, yeah. Thank so, you. <laughs> Ranch will be one. Yeah, awesome. All right. Every Star Wars fan needs to come here. For sure. Without can you imagine? Us. Well, we even got Jason Swank. We here. got Jason. So if we can get Jason here. We can get anybody here. <laughs> Swank on a plane. Uh, I did it. Yes. <laughs> All right. Steve, thanks so much for everything. Thank you, guys. Really appreciate it. It's been fun hanging out with you for a couple of days. I've known about the Guinness World Records book almost from the start, and I always look in the index to see if there's anything on Star Wars, and there frequently is. And I think it's, uh, it's a wonderful tribute to what I've been able to put together with the help of so many people around the world. In the Star Wars trilogy, the rebellion fought against the tyrannical empire. 
Now a marketing empire has us running in circles for a pristine version of a figure 50,000 people already have. Price guides and eBay auctions have us all believing we'll be Steven Sandsweets, but we won't. Now, All right, before we wrap things up, we do want to mention uh, another one of our sponsors this week, Dorkside Toys. That's right, the new Black Series, the three and three-quarter inch Wave 4. They're out, and if you haven't yet, you got to make sure you grab that Luke and the Yoda figure because then you can recreate the Dagobah training scene, which has always been one of my favorites. Uh, the Star Wars Rebels pre-orders, they are very much in demand, so don't miss out on those. And I'll just say, as a collector, um, you watch. You watch those Clone Wars figures. You watch their value. Pew! shoot up because so many of those um, didn't make it out on the shelves very long and uh, a lot of the characters are only made one time so if you're looking to um, maybe get back into collecting I think you could probably find no better uh, option than the the, the Rebel stuff. It's going to be really, really great and characters have such good designs it's going to be fun to watch them translated into plastic. Uh, The Biker Scout and those Jabba Deluxe sets, they're set to arrive very shortly so make sure you got your pre-order in now and um, don't miss out because they're likely to be probably the Star Wars Toys of the Year. They also have a Saga Legends mission series, the big Jumbo Kenner figures and uh, those uh, pop vinyl Star Wars uh, figures. Uh, plus, if you're a fan of Walking Dead, DC, Marvel, Funko, Retro, G.I. Joe, or any of the other uh, big properties in action figure dumb, uh, they've got those as well. So, um, And you know what? The fact is, you guys are doing what we ask you to do. They're getting great feedback from Rebel Force Radio listeners that say that um, Dorkside is one of the best experiences in online collectibles. And you know that we've known it for a long time, and we're so glad that you're sharing with them that you heard it here at Rebel Force Radio. So, uh, Wizard World Chicago coming up this uh, next weekend. Uh, they will be there, so please stop by the Dorkside Toys booth and mention that you hear about them just about each and every week on Rebel Force Radio. And if you'd like to shop Dorkside, the store, you can go to shotglassdigital.com and click on that Dorkside banner. That right away tells them that you came from Rebel Force Radio and shop to your little heart's content. So we thank you and we thank Dorkside Toys for their support of us here at Rebel Force Radio. This is Billy D. Williams, Lando Calrissian. It's time for the quote of the week. Hello, what have we here? It's just me, Billy D. Don't mess this up, man. Be smooth. Lando's right. Billy D. Sorry, baby. It's just business. Why, you slimy, double-crossing, no-good swindler. Works every time. And Lando Calrissian is forever. (laughs) All right. Billy D. Quote of the week. We are back. And, Jim, we got a brand new quote that we haven't heard yet. Yeah, more than just a quote. We have Billy D. News. Billy D. Star Wars Rebels news. As you recall, Jason, we had speculated that Billy D. may have let it slip uh, at a convention a, a few months back where he may have said something about appearing in Rebels. Well, we then determined that he's talking about his work on the Amazon Prime television pilot simply called Rebels, having to do with a high school football team and nothing with a galaxy far, far away. But just recently, we got news that on Billy D. Williams' IMDb page, recently a credit for Star Wars Rebels appeared. 
featuring Billy D as Lando Calrissian, voice of Lando Calrissian. So this is incredible news. But, you know, anyone could post something on IMDb. That doesn't necessarily make a confirmation. We usually wait for word from Lucasfilm or Bob Iger at Disney. Or confirmation could come from Billy D. Williams. And that's what happened just this past weekend. We have an email here from loyal RFR listener Greg who says, I was at Steel CityCon this weekend in Pittsburgh, and I got to attend a Q&A with Billy D. Williams. I recorded the audio for you and thought you might be interested to hear that he is confirmed for Rebels as Lando. I'm not sure if this has been officially announced yet in any other venue. It was a great panel, and Billy D. was as smooth as a Colt 45. Thanks for the great show, Greg. Greg is an awesome Rebel Force Radio correspondent because not only does he report to us that Billy D. Williams is confirming his role in Star Wars Rebels, but he is providing us with the audio. So, of course, keep in mind that there's a lot of room, tone, and ambiance in this particular recording, and you might have to listen a little closely. But this is Billy D. Williams on stage at Steel City Con in Pittsburgh last weekend with his manager, Derek Mackey, talking about Star Wars Rebels. How does it feel to be back in Star Wars again? How does it feel to be back in Star Wars again? I'm not back in Star Wars again. Boy, did you hear that I was back in Star Wars? I heard he was going to be in Star Wars Episode 7. No, 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 no. It's just the original cast. Everybody thinks I'm part of the original cast, but I'm not really. I came in, like, uh, in the segment, uh, third movie. Darn, we thought you knew something we didn't know. Yeah. <laughs> Are you allowed to talk about the... It's out now, right? So you can talk about the... the... It's on IMDb. What are they going to do, shoot you? <laughs> He's in Rebels. He's reprising his role as Lando Carizian in Rebels. <laughs> and the reason we're telling you is because it's on IMDb. We didn't tell you. It's on IMDb. Yeah, I didn't say it. <laughs> I'll take the All right. There so. you go. <laughs> so his manager jumping in there, as he always does. Yes. It's, uh... Any Billy D panel is <laughs> it's part Billy D and part what's his name Derek. So Derek. Yeah. So I mean, just to sort of recap that audio because yeah. uh, admittedly, big it was, news. This is big news. It was hard to hear, but uh, it was definitely clear enough to decipher. Um, uh, the fan asked, "What's it like being back in Star Wars?" Referring to Star Wars Episode Seven, Billy D. of course, denied any involvement in Star Wars Episode Seven. We know nothing about Lando Calrissian being in that particular film. I still speculate he'll show up midway through Episode Eight. But Billy goes on to say that, you know, a lot of people think that he was part of the original cast, and he really wasn't. He came in midway through this, the second film. And um, so to kind of throw out a consolation prize... Uh, Billy D's manager, Derek, thought it would be a good time to announce to the world via Rebel Force Radio. Little did he know, we have ears everywhere, especially courtesy of listener Greg. Um, little did he know that it would be announced worldwide on our show. So, yes, Derek is confirming Billy D will be back as Lando Calrissian in Rebels. Now, of course... Billy D says, I understand nothing. 
<laughs> Who me? But uh, yeah. but Derek says he'll take the heat on this one. So uh, so there you have it. Uh, we'll find out, I guess, in uh, upcoming weeks whether or not Derek had to take any heat or not. But uh, that's great news for fans of Lando Calrissian and Billy D. Williams and Star Wars Rebels. Lando's back. Lando's back, baby. <laughs> Well, that's going to wrap things up for this week. How can you end on a better note than Billy D back as Lando in official canon? That's that's good stuff. And if he's on one episode, there's a chance he could be in several episodes. Maybe he'd be a recurring character in Rebels. Who knows? Who knows? But that's a great sign. So, very cool to have Billy D back. I want to thank Steve Sansweet and the whole gang at Rancher Obi-Wan for just an amazing visit. We hope that you enjoyed our telling the tale of our big visit out west to Rancher Obi-Wan and uh, uh, Lucasfilm. It was really just an an incredible, incredible trip for me. Jim, I have to thank you. You were the the architect of all of it. You were my uh, cruise ship director, my entertainment, my tour guide, the whole thing. So thank you so much for making it happen. I'm just happy you survived riding shotgun as I drove us through the hills. Oh God! And terrain of Northern California. Now you're gonna you're gonna call me a liar, but I I'm not joking. I was still nauseous <laughs> for about a day and a half after I got back. It took a couple days to shake that off. Well, apparently you left your heart and your stomach in San Francisco. Indeed, I did. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just don't sign up to be an Uber driver anytime, Jim. Anytime soon. Uh, You know what? If you want to become a Rancho Obi-Wan member, and I really suggest you do, you get a great membership kit, uh, all kinds of special offers, invitations to events, and a whole lot more. Check it out, RanchoObiWan.org. You'll be glad you did. No Rebel Force Radio next week. We'll be back at the end of August. Definitely keep your eyes and ears open for all kinds of great Star Wars programming on the RFR feed. In the meantime, we'd love to have you support our sponsors, Dorkside Toys and Little Debbie's Snack Cakes. If you'd like to play with us in between shows, you can do so with show at rebelforceradio.com. The voicemail line, 708-3201-737. That's 708-3201-RFR. And we do promise we're going to get to that all-listener feedback show, right? That's coming. That's coming. Right, Jim? Yeah, in September. September. That's right. We're for sure. Right. Uh, Facebook is just a fabulous, fabulous community that we have over there of all kinds of listeners and great Star Wars fans, breaking news, links to stories you won't find anywhere else, and uh, just all-around good conversation. So check that at Facebook.com slash Rebel Force Radio. Of course, iTunes, one of the best and biggest catalogs of podcasts you can find. Uh, now available, um, I'm just kind of getting the hang of there. It's been out for a while, but they have a, a great uh, app for your uh, iPhone or your iPad that's dedicated just for podcasts. So uh, check that out. It's also a way you can review and subscribe. If you're going to write a review, we only have one rule. Make it good. And while you're cruising the internet, make sure you check out our official webpage at Rebel Force Radio. 
shockglass.com and we are part of the shockglass digital network all kinds of great shows there you can check that at shockglassdigital.com and the facebook page shotglass digital uh, also as a reminder you can listen to us just about each and every saturday night at 7 p.m eastern at srsounds.com it's an internet radio station run by our good buddy al john go that's sorcerers radio and those rfr t-shirts still available get them while you can get them while you can as we turn the page to a new year in the next few months i sense a change in the air perhaps so get these shirts while you can at shotglassdigital.com we'll see you next time love you all so much for the rebel force radio crew here i'm jason i'm jimmy mack and remember the force will be with you always Make it good. There we go. That's a show. Fat bastard.